talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Poleski is in the newsroom. Will Erskine is on the board. The holiday may be different this year, but the spirit remains the same. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Here's Scott Thompson. We made it. Woohoo! We made it. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.09. It's 900 CHML in Hamilton, 980 CFPL in London. It's Hamilton today. Will Erskine is on the board. Uh, and Lisa Pulaski joining us in the newsroom as everybody sort of gets ready and starts to get into their uh, holiday mode. No matter where we are, as uh, the Kurt man said, uh, it's a bit different, but the spirit remains the same. It's um, it's how you look at it all, and, and we're all there together. So uh, let's uh, let's zoom up, and off we go. Uh, feel free to jump into the fun. See, uh, feel free to jump into the. Oh, let me uh, remind me to tell you about the bird uh, out back. Although maybe that's not a good story to tell. It's but, a cool you know, one. When, you, when you're stuck in your house and there's nothing going on, you know, staring out the backyard and watching the nature sometimes is about the best you can do. All right, we'll come back to that. Uh, send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. And it is an all-request Friday, uh, Christmas edition, so feel free and uh, and give Will a call, and he'll try to get your uh, your favorite on as, uh, as soon as we can. And, you know, uh, as well, if you want something to talk about uh, or want us uh, to talk about something on the Big Round Table, feel free. That is coming up after the 4.30 News with Lisa and Will and such. Uh, love to, to hear from you. Where your head is at on this uh, Christmas Eve. And we're going to be here uh, all the way to the very end. we got some cool interviews, some that we uh, pre-recorded, some that we're going to do live, but obviously people are kind of getting into uh, the mood and the mode, whatever that is. So uh, a little later on, uh, I may actually start getting into the eggnog. The judge is okay with that? Yes, we're getting yeah. a two thumbs up, so there you go. And um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the tent at home uh, with the mattress cover over the doors to deaden the sound, so whether any other members of the family other than the dog come through the door uh, over the course of the show, maybe they'll sit down and, and, help, uh, and help spread the cheer as well. So, uh, again, love to know where your thoughts are. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Poll question of the day, uh, do you think 2022? will be better than uh, 2021 and man I hope so (laughs) Uh, and you've got a couple of options yes no or I hope so Uh, I didn't want to split it up I decided to go as optimistic as possible so I included yes uh, and I hope so into the same category so that makes it up to at least 75 percent so that's pretty good so you know what the heck we'll um you know we'll we'll take it and uh we'll move on from from here it's not like we haven't been through this before this one was just a little unexpected that's all uh all right uh and i suggest uh i got a note sent uh shoppers drug marts or various uh what do you call them pharmacies uh whatever uh are now opening up between christmas and new year's for all of this so i'm hearing rumors flying around the hoods that uh if you want to call pharmacies Pharmacies, and again, I'm not telling you what it's like in your area, but uh, there are spots opening up as they're staffing up 
are trying to, and think of the whole healthcare staff and people that are involved in pharmacies and stuff. All right, you want to try to work over Christmas and New Year's and try to get the whole community vaccinated? Uh, but, you know, there are spots popping up. So, uh, again, if uh, you, you call your local pharmacy, they could perhaps help you with more. I'm sure many of you are just getting nothing but a busy signal. But, you know, there are rumors floating around on social media that uh, things are starting to open up a bit more. It is a time of the show where we normally focus on a small business. But we're going to talk a bit more, uh, a little bit more broad and talk about economic development in the city. Uh, and it has been a great year for the hammer, uh, despite what we're all going through. I mean, Hamilton continues to be uh, the place to be and the place to develop and the place to uh, come if you're looking to uh, to start off fresh, whether in uh, moving from another part of the of the province or just growing within or a business in some form. Let's bring in Norm Schlehan, Director of Economic Development for the City of Hamilton and is with us. Norm, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing very well, Scott. Uh, working at the home office uh, as you are, so uh, on Christmas Eve. So I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, it could be worse, and uh, you know we just knuckle down and go through it again. Um, so as you look back, Norm, um, you know, and I don't want to compare the year before you at this point, but we'll talk about that. What was last year ba- uh, like? Because it, it, it did seem that uh, we did see recovery in certain situations, and Hamilton continued to grow. Certainly, and and you know what uh, I, I think, uh, and Scott, you've had me on a couple of times, and I, I still talk about the sort of the tale of two economies. There's certain sectors that have really you know flourished and and, and blossomed actually during the pandemic, and we've seen a num- uh, a great deal of growth in those sectors. Uh, and I will talk about that, but I can't discount you know the impact that COVID has had on the hospitality, the small business sector, and and whatnot. And, and hopefully, I can talk a little bit about that as well uh, later on. But uh, to your point about uh, growth and what we saw in the city last year. Well, last year was uh, the busiest year the city's ever had from a, an economic development or a building permit perspective. Uh, we broke the $2 billion mark in building permit values uh, in November. And uh, what's really uh, good about that number, Scott, is that uh, almost 35, 35% or almost $700 million is new commercial and industrial investment in the city. Those are, rec- those are record numbers that the city has never seen in the time I've been here with the city or, or, and, and, and before. So uh, very, very positive in that regard our industrial commercial permits are were were phenomenal and uh big names like you mentioned it before whether it be amazon bridgestone corvac continental tire dhl l3 harris huge international names that are now calling hamilton home and uh, uh that, that's a great benefit that's that's over 2.5 million square feet of new investment for those investments alone and over 3,000 jobs to the to hamilton's economy uh, why is it important to have, for any city to have, or area for that matter, to have a strong industrial base? How does this help the overall scenario for all Hamiltonians? Well, it's, it's always the council's priority to grow our non-residential assessment base. And when you have companies like, well, we're talking about two and a half million square feet, and the tax rates that industrial and commercial are, are far more than what uh, residential taxpayers pay from a rate perspective, uh, that really helps offset, uh, you know, when it comes time for tax increases, if there's a larger base to draw from and uh, it can, you know, offset the tax increases for the residential side. So that it's huge in that regard, uh, but as well as, you know, from a job creation perspective and, uh, and job expansion. So having having jobs for our, our, uh, our, our, our local citizens. 
uh, obviously the other ed, uh, other edge of this sword during a global pandemic is what we've seen happen to uh, events, hospitality, uh, even retail and such. And, and man, Hamilton was just in the last 10 or so years uh, had really turned a corner when it, ki- when it came to uh, development in the, in the inner city and stuff going on and exciting things going on in the downtown core and whether it be restaurants or, or, or other cool little retail things things that are popping up, uh, it, it really had started to take off. But obviously now hit with this pandemic, I mean, all hospitality is just getting it uh, uh, right back in the stomach again. So talk about that and, and how does this balance out in the end, Norm? You know, I, I wish I had a, a, a magic or crystal ball that I could look forward and say, you know, what's what's going to happen? I mean, we saw some great glimpses here just uh, even before, you know, three weeks ago, things seemed to be yeah. going in right direction uh you know glimpses with the with the gray cup and and uh all, all the all the activity taking place in the city hotels had their best from what i understand their best december ever with the great with the gray cup uh here in town um I, I i i can't tell you what's going to happen in the future i, I can tell you that we've had a lot of uh, uh very resilient businesses here that have, have done their best to pivot uh, in a very difficult situation uh, we need to keep supporting these local business because if you don't shop local, there will be no local shops. So I, I just encourage everybody to keep on shopping local and, and to utilize uh, the services of the great uh, uh, businesses that we have in, in, across the city in our downtowns and our BIAs across the city. Uh, but uh, we, we are trying our best to basically, uh, uh, you know, there are certain programs. Uh, I think you had Kristen Hugenboss in last week, our, our uh, coordinator of our small business center for uh, uh, City Hall. And there have mm-hmm. been 400 companies that have received over a million dollars uh, in um, from our digital Main Street program to basically help them pivot and get to a bit more digital platform. So we have to keep thinking creatively in terms of how, how we can do that. Uh, uh, certainly, the municipality can't do it on its own. We're going to have to lever our, our support from the province and, and from the feds to, to help these businesses uh, move forward. Uh, we, whenever we've had businesses on during, uh, well, it doesn't matter whether it's this, the small business segment that we're doing now or in other interviews in the show, uh, people have always learned something coming out of this. You can't do, be involved in something for this long and not come out the other end, uh, different in some way. How does perception or, or, or what have you learned from an economic development point of view through this pandemic? Yeah, I, I guess is that, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's never business as usual, Scott. Yeah. I mean, just just when you think uh, you've got things figured out, something changes. Something you, like you said, you get kicked in the stomach again and and whatnot. And I hate to use the word pivot resilience because I'm sure they've very been overused a lot uh, over the last uh, last couple of years for sure. But that's what we just have to be able to. And it's, I want to just say roll with the punches, but yeah, basically have to be resilient and and figure out how we can get there. But I think what it has. Uh, what, what I have learned from my, my perspective is that in order to combat COVID and, and what's happening on, it, it, you can't do it by yourself. It, it, it's going to take a village to defeat, defeat this or, or, or cope with it. So, I mean, we've had some excellent relationships with all three chambers of commerce, uh, our BIAs and, and whatnot on, on joint initiatives to try and, and move through and persevere. So I would suggest that uh, we have to keep that, that up and, uh, and just keep moving forward. Absolutely. It's not like we haven't been through it before. We know what to do. Norm Schlehan with us, Director of Economic Development for the City of Hamilton, persevering even through a global pandemic. Norm, thanks so much for the time. Good luck moving forward. Be well. Have a great holiday. Thanks, Scott, and uh, all the best to you and yours and all the listeners. Uh, Take care and stay safe. 
Alyssa Freeman is with us, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa, it is great to have you here on this Christmas Eve. Thank you for taking the time. Much appreciated. I hope you're well. I am well, and any day is a great day when I get to talk with you, Scott, so let's go. You know what, and let's get this out right at the beginning. Thanks so much for all you've done over the course of this year to uh, to help us and that you've contributed to the show. We're very much uh, appreciative of that. So as you look back on this year, uh, and as we finish off 2021, I think a lot of us thought that we would be in a much different place than where we are now. Your thoughts as you look back uh, on this past year, and what stands out for you? Well, listen, this has been a real roller coaster of a year, a roller coaster of, emo- of emotions. And I think that everybody has dealt with it in one shape, way, shape, or form, you know, and you were either caught up in it or you were able to pivot. But obviously, the one thing that stands out to me is COVID. And it certainly drove a lot of the news cycle, Scott. It drove a lot of the stories that you and I talked about, you know, about the announcements, the messaging, you know, how Ontarians were taking that messaging. Was it good enough? and sort of the state of mind and the state of the economy that it left us in. You know, it's interesting. Obviously, the pandemic uh, is top of mind for everybody. And right now, the mad dash as we head into the holidays is lineups for testing, lineups for boosters. And we're seeing this right the way across the country. There is not one province who's doing it better than the other. And I guess my question to you is, you know, we're seeing the U.S., they've been handing out boosters forever. I think Israel's on to its fourth shot by now. Uh, if, if boosters are so important, COVID-19 vaccine boosters are so important. Uh, Why didn't Canada start this earlier? You know, I have to think that it's because we haven't opened up everything in the way some of the other countries have. So in Israel, everything was opened up uh, a lot earlier than it was for us. Uh, many months ago, in fact. And as soon as they started opening it up, they saw, you know, rates rising at that time. So, and the same thing with the states. You know, there are some states, uh, you could call them blue states, which are still, you know, they have mandates. And there are other states, red states, that uh, COVID doesn't exist. You know, I know people who are in Florida right now, and you would never know that there was COVID. Yeah. So I think it has to do with the speed of opening up the economies as to whether or not you need boosters and how fast you need them. Um, I think everything has sort of been on a timetable, and quite frankly, we're flying this plane and building it at the same time. I mean, you can hear how people are making decisions, and you can hear, you know, gee, should it be you know, three months after the first dose for kids? Can you do it? For, you know, can you do it quicker? So it's one of those things that, you know, it's a little bit anxiety-inducing for people because there's never any concrete answers. And all we're trying to do is catch up with the realities of the statistics and the movement of the disease in order to help make decisions, which we're still making on the fly. Uh, and again, there's no doubt that the speed in which this uh, this variant, Omicron, has, has moved through uh, the population, it's astronomical. Nobody even predicted it to be as fast as what it is. That being said, it was the beginning of December that NASI finally approved boosters for those 50-plus. Uh, you know, I fall into that age group, and it was just over six months for me uh, before I could make an appointment. Yet, obviously, in the United States, where we're obviously you, you can't compare uh, how their societal uh, trends go compared to ours, but there's certainly been availability uh, down there. So, you know, again, um, now all of a sudden, two weeks later, this variant is 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 prevalent, and not only are we boosting those 50 plus, but we've lowered it to 18 plus. Uh, again, many are asking the questions of, could we have been ahead of this curve? 
You know, when Trudeau spoke the other day, along with uh, Christian Freeland and Dr. Tam, a lot of it was, you know, we saw this coming. Okay. So if you saw it coming, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> where were the boosters earlier? And I'm not sure what they wait for. I'm not sure what the criteria is. I'm not sure what the indicators are. I don't think anybody is sure. And I think that we're all going along, la-di-da, we were going to have great Christmases, and then we're going to gather, and, you know, the malls were full, and, you know, people were still respecting masking mandates, but, you know, it's something that you could live with. And then all of a sudden, this came. Mm. So, you know, timing, the whole timing around this, I've never been able to really get a handle on on why or the rhyme, or the, nor the rhyme nor reason as to, you know, when things are available and when things are not available. And the panic, the problem is, is the panic that ensues once you start putting the pedal to the metal. I remember, you know, Doug Ford says, oh, listen, we had all these antigen tests. We could give give one away a month ago, and now everybody wants one. Mm. So, but but why is that? You know, a lot of it, I think, has to do with messaging. A lot of it has to do with that you sort of get a lulled into a little bit of complacency. Yeah. But what's kind of interesting, Scott, is that when you see the uptake of, this, of the booster shots, they do tell you how many shots are for people for the first time. Mm. And so one of those days, I think they gave out 208,000 shots, and 14,000 of them, a small percentage, but still significant, in that 14,000 were first shot, yeah. first jab. Mm. So if there's one thing that the Omicron uh, you know, variant is doing, is that it's spurring people who have not been vaccinated at all to get vaccinated. What do you think we're going to learn out of 2021? Uh, we've talked over the past year and a half, two years, however long it's been, about you know exposing weaknesses in the healthcare system and this, that, the other, supply chain, what have you. What do you think we're going to learn from 2021 in all of this? We're going to learn, Scott, that we have a sick care system and not a health care system. This is a system that the problems have been around, you know, since the beginning of time. And they just keep getting passed from government to government. And all they do is they hand out some, you know, chewing gum and tape and give it to the frontline health care workers and doctors and nurses and say, listen, I know that there's a leak here. Just fix it the best you can and work a little harder. But that's not going to wash anymore. So we need to have a government that has the courage, that has the bravery to say, okay, this is, we need to do something about this. We're going to need to spend the money. It's going to be a little bumpy. And maybe this is good for my political career. Maybe it's not. But we need to actually have a government that shows that they're not just cared about their base, but they're cared, they care about the entire country and they care about the health of the entire province. What gives you optimism for next year? I think that we're all looking for ways to be safe and learning how to live uh, among variants. You know, we, we, live, we live among the flu, and sometimes we know when the flu starts ripping through offices or cruise lines, you know, it, it, that doesn't phase us as much. And I think what I hope is that, that there is a respect, a greater respect for our fellow person, and that we have a different outlook on how people live um, what people need to do to survive, uh, how we treat people, not just within the healthcare system, but in our everyday interactions. And, you know, there are certain ways, let's say ways of working where, you know, you had to be seen five days a week, and now we know you don't have to go into the office five days a week, and that there's greater ability to try and achieve a work-life balance. So I hope to see more of that in 2022, but mainly I hope to see some steps taken so that we can do something about this sick 
healthcare system that we have. Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time, especially on this big day. Uh, very much appreciated, and all the best to you and yours uh, in the new year. Thanks so much, Alyssa. Oh, thank you, Scott, and Merry Christmas to you and yours and to the CHML family. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Winding it down for uh, Christmas Eve uh, here till 6 o'clock tonight and uh, then, of course, off for a week or so. And, uh, and you know, kind of looking back at what we've uh, been through over the last year, although many would just like to just, you know, snap the rearview mirror right off and chuck it out the window. We really don't need to know this. But anyway, uh, it's a good time to uh, count our blessings and see where we are as we move forward. Let's bring in Eric Alper, music publicist and commentator. He is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, everything. I don't want to chuck that rear view for just yet. Maybe more, though. I hear you. I hear you. You know, uh, things have uh, things sort of changed a bit this year because we started to see acts open up. We started to see, with more and more vaccination, uh, tours start again and resume, and obviously we are where we are. Uh, interesting, though, last week, Neil Young uh, announced that uh, for him, he's not touring until after the whole COVID-19 uh, epidemic, whatever you want to call it, global pandemic, is behind us. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and will will we see some of these acts even tour again? Yeah, I thought it was really, really smart of Neil to do that. Um, look, Neil's zipping on his own planet anyway, so he's not guided by money. He doesn't care about promoters having to cancel and so forth. But what he does care about is a fellow man and human and woman and people that he just cannot want to have on his head somebody potentially getting sick and possibly dying at one of his shows and through COVID. So he's like, I'm going to sit all of these years out until I think that things are safe because he sees all of these announced shows, canceled shows, anger with refunds, rescheduling of dates. It's a lot of, of hours and hours and weeks and months to put on a tour in itself. Imagine now you've been doing this twice, three times, four times with the same artist because you just can't figure out what is going to be happening six months from now. So I kind of agree with them. I think that the artist should just sit this out and not give any false hope and not tie up anybody's money than they need to right now. You bring up a very valid point here, too, Eric. And I was talking to my wife and I, oddly enough, we're talking about something uh, sort of related with business in all of this. And, and she said the same thing in a sense that there's just so many extra steps involved in trying to do any kind of basic business that it just becomes exhausting, especially when things change or, or, or pivot so quickly. And again, you know, it's one thing to plan a tour. It's another thing to plan a tour with uh, COVID-19 protocol and plan B's or C's in place if something goes wrong. Yeah, and we're seeing it now in sports, actually, like on a yeah. basis where these games are just canceled outright with no makeup date. The artists absolutely need to go off and tour. And there's, you know, the idea of not having rescheduled dates is, is not even in their mindset. This isn't what they. This isn't just what they do. This is actually who they are as people to go off and tour and to be able to maneuver and schedule 
um, open dates in these arenas that are already jammed with now coming up on 21 months worth of rescheduled events. Um, and it's not just music. It's like it's everything from the escapades to the circus coming in yeah. town in America to all of these things that are happening. And it's just going to be a nightmare. But, um, you know, but I've got tickets for a couple of shows in 2022. I'm not even convinced they're going to go on. Uh, interesting. Uh, obviously, prior, well, all year, we've heard of artists selling their uh, the rights to their music, their wares, whether it's Dylan. Springsteen just announced $500 million yeah. for his. There's rumor, I guess, that Stings is on the table for something like six. Um, your thoughts on this, and will it be Paul McCartney who gets the greatest or the most significant buck for, I guess, that era? Uh, but, but there's both young and, and old musicians doing this now. Yeah, I think Paul McCartney is going to be easily one, $1.5 billion. I, that, those songs are still worth that much. I mean, all you have to do is just take a look at the success this year of the Beatles Get Back documentary that yeah. 55 years later, we're still talking about this band as if, you know, they're still number one on everybody's list of the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Um, but, you know, the artists have to start to think about diversifying because the music streaming services aren't paying, um, obviously, as much as like a CD or a vinyl record. Um, touring hasn't happened in the last 18 months or 21 months with really no end in sight. Music documentaries will only get you so far on Netflix. People have already written their autobiography so they're trying to figure out what else is on the table. And every time that, you know, you and I talk about um, the Prince estate battling yeah. over 120 people out there who all claim to be his children, Paul McCartney takes a look at that, at that mess and says, I don't want my kids to go through that. Springsteen mm. says, I want the money right now so that at least my kids won't argue about my songs. They'll just argue about the money. But if I lay it all out right now, because that era of selling out just doesn't exist anymore. It did back yeah, and that's the interesting thing about all of this, yeah. Eric. Remember when, like, 10, well, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, oh, what are you doing, man? Or even put, if you put, you like, a corporate sponsor up on, on, the, on your stage, it was bad news. Yeah, you know, it, it, people would never be caught with their song in a movie or a TV show yeah. or ad. And then Bob Dylan came around and not only gave it to a bank, but he gave it to Victoria's Secret. And then yeah. all of these artists said, well, Bob Dylan, if it's cool for Bob Dylan, then maybe I should do it too. Except for Neil Young, of course, who still wouldn't even do any of that. But that's where you end up with like, you know, maybe Bruce Springsteen's ideals at 72 years old is very different than when he was 23 and yeah. 35 and 42. You know, everything's a little bit older. Interesting, though, we're talking about uh, Paul McCartney and the Beatles catalog when he spent the last, what, 20 or 30 years trying to get it back from Michael Jackson because yeah. he bought them out, bought the rights out from underneath him. Yeah, especially because Michael Jackson kept peppering Paul McCartney on questions about, because Michael Jackson didn't have any idea where the money truly was in the music industry. He thought mm. it was all in touring. And Paul said, no, 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 it's all in publishing. Every single time that your song gets played on the radio, every time that your song is used in a commercial, every time that somebody else records one of your songs, you get paid for it. Michael didn't even realize that. So the first thing that he wanted to do after being on top of the world with his album Thriller was buy the most prized catalog in the mm. history of music. And right underneath them, while Paul McCartney was trying to raise money to, to do it himself, Michael Jackson comes along, buys it up, which seemingly, we found out later, put Michael Jackson severely in debt 
And now that catalog is owned by Sony Music, and Paul McCartney is, you know, trying hard to get it back slowly, piece by piece. Fascinating, and who knows how this will all uh, work out for him with this situation. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Thanks so much for taking the time over the year to contribute to the show. We greatly appreciate your opinion and having you on, and uh, all the best as we uh, head into the next year. Uh, thanks so much for having me all, all year round. Have a great holiday season, and uh, have a good holiday season to all your listeners as well. Back at you. It is Eric Elper, music publicist and commentator. All right, uh, CHML Christmas Tree of Hope campaign, the CHML Children's Fund. Uh, compared to last year, you know, uh, uh, things were um, looking pretty good when we started. We lit the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope down at Gore Park, and of course the the big Blitz weekend at Lime Ridge and stuff. And then everything kind of went uh, south after that. But the good news is, at least we got a lot of stuff in, including a Pioneer's Three Cent Elite. Day made I think about twenty grand out of that. So uh, thank you so much for helping us help the kids. Want to talk to Olivia Mackay now, president of the CHML Children's Fund, and talk about this year's edition of Olivia. Thanks for taking the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks for having me. Uh, another bizarre year, Olivia, to say the least. Uh, what did we get off the ground this year? Because how do you really compare it to what we did last year? At least we got we we got, we made some progress this year. We did. We were able to have our golf tournaments. We were there raised an extra $10,000 to the fund where we weren't able to last year. Um, we did the toy drive last year. We were, we were able to give toys, but this year we were, we went out to the offices and picked up toys. So we, we were, we probably went to about 20 places and that filled up the lobby numerous times. And we were able to have about 20 charities, you know, come to the station. We pre-packed the toys, Shannon and I. And they came and were able to give, you know, Christmas presents to those in need, um, able to do the tree lighting in person, uh, also mm. had it virtual for those who couldn't, go to Blitz weekend at the mall, which was nice, you know, to see people in person and for the people to come see us. And then just, you know, just out and about, we were finally able to do events so people were aware of us and, um, you know, the big help from the uh, downtown BIA, the Hamilton downtown BIA for being a toy drop off, as well as the Stony Creek uh, downtown businesses. They were a big help as well. You know, we have charred on James Street selling whole chickens this month. Every Tuesday, money goes towards them. You uh, Bandits is selling the Y108 Piggy Burger, where a dollar of every burger goes to us. So we got out there. We had um, Cameron's as well. They w- they did the Y108 Beer and donated mm-hmm. 2500 And then the three cents a liter did, like you said, $20,000. So it helps a lot. And, you know, donations are down, but we're still able to help charities. We were able this year to help 28 charities, and we already have charities lined up. Like, already applications are in for January. So it's, it's constant giving 365 days a year with the Children's Fund. And it's amazing when we were all down at the Tree of Hope at Gore Park, you know, it was so great. We, we, we didn't get to see, uh, or, you know, we got, we got saw employees that we haven't seen since this all started and such. And it's like, you know, we're talking about going back to work in the new year and then blammo within a week or two, everything's shifted again. Did you see, did we get enough in before that happened? How much did you think you lost over the last week or two because of where we are now? Too much. I see the donations coming online a lot. So we we have uh, through uh, PayPal Giving Fund as well as CanadaHelp.org, and I see the donations coming in there. And then a lot of people have been mailing their donations. So I would say like we're well over a hundred thousand dollars in donations this year, which will help us greatly going into twenty twenty two. 
So uh, what is the best way to and when can we continue to donate to? Now, obviously, you can donate to the Children's Fund 12 months of the year, mm-hmm. all, all the information on the website and such. But uh, are you pretty much wound up for this year? Where are you now with, with the Tree of Hope campaign? Well, it, uh, it wraps up mainly at the end of the month. So our big push for donations will wrap up on the 31st. So people can still text to donate. They'll, uh, they can text donate to 30333. They can go online at 900chml.com. And they can donate there and then or they can give me a call. All my information is on the website. We have a, a, a debit machine and I can take your info or you can mail a check to us as well. And that would be processed by the end of the, the year into the account. And the drag is, although, uh, you know, there's little less that we can do, the demand is up. Like even when we were down at uh, at the tree talking to the various children's charities and such, they've got people coming in they didn't expect. So the demand is, is even greater now, isn't it? Yeah. The demand's greater, and then it is great that we were able to give toys to these charities as well. So, you know, to alleviate that cost from them from going out to pick up toys. And it was great for people, you know, to be donating those diapers and formula as well as the gifts for the older kids. Because those are the kind of two age group that people forget that, you know, babies don't really need the toys, but they need the necessities of life. And then the older kids, like, it's hard to shop for them, but giving them, you know, those body uh, axe kits or those dove kits or a curling iron goes a long way for them. Olivia Mackay with us, president of the CHML Children's Fund. Another great uh, campaign with a tree of hope goes right to the new year. All the details at 900chml.com and how you can help us help the kids. Olivia, as always, thanks so much for all you do. Another great year, and we're looking forward to next year. Uh, Be well. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Back at you. Tim Powers is with us, Chairman Summa Strategies and Managing Director of Abacus Data. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time on this Christmas Eve. We duly, uh, we truly do appreciate it, and we're hoping you're doing well. I'm doing okay, Scott, on Christmas Eve. We're well, one day closer to getting the presents. I think we all would like the big present, which is for this pandemic to end, but, uh, but we'll get through it anyway, as they all continue to say, and as we say, to motivate ourselves. Exactly. My son was saying, all I want for Christmas is, is a Christmas, really. That's all we're looking for. <laughs> uh, your thoughts as you look back on the year, uh, obviously you spend a great deal of your time, most of it in Ottawa, and it's been obviously a turbulent year just with the pandemic. Also throw in there a, an election as well. When you look back at 2021, what stands out for you? Well, I think it has to be the pandemic, first of all, uh, and foremost, again, for almost a second year, and we, I think we'll make that second year mark in March. Uh, it has dominated everything that we do. It dominates the political calendar. It dominates our lives on a personal level. It dominates our discourse. Uh, it probably will for uh, another period of time, though maybe there are some encouraging signs that I don't want to jink it, that we're getting closer to the end. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's been the pandemic uh, and how, uh, how the body politic has uh, reacted to it all. Uh, how is the mood different this Christmas, this holiday season, as opposed to last? Uh, obviously, uh, we didn't have the vaccination rates that we uh, that uh, th- uh, last year that we did this year. Uh, however, uh, again, it seems with Omicron in the last uh, week or two, uh, it has it has changed virtually everything and 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 dashed a few dreams to say the least. Um, how how are we going to look at this going into twenty twenty two? How are we going to look at this uh, this year compared? to last 
Well, first of all, we should get, give every frontline health care worker the Order of Canada for yeah. what they've done over the last uh, two years. So as this, you know, some of us like me whine about not being able to go home to Newfoundland for the second Christmas in a row, uh, it, it's minor compared to uh, what all of these wonderful people have done trying to help us. But what, what's different this year? I, I think two things, first of all, Scott. I think there's less... Well, we know we're closer to the end. A reading of history, a reading of trends around pandemics seems to suggest that is true. However, that's why we're also equally as frustrated as I think we are now, more than we were last year, because yeah. we've had the vaccines, because we had hoped before Omicron came upon us in mid-November that we were even closer to normal than we had realized. It's why... We are so frustrated at that we still have to confine ourselves and step back and why I think it's getting tiresome, though we expect it, uh, the, the political messages about, oh, we're almost there, we're almost there. So it's a bit like if you've ever run a marathon at about the 30-kilometer mark, they talk about you hitting the wall uh, before you go through the mm. last 12 kilometers. We're kind of at that wall right now. We know we will finish. We know we'll get there. But right now, it's just sheer unmitigated frustration and uh, and, and and upset as a consequence. Uh, obviously, as we're heading into this holiday season, long lineups for testing, long lineups for vaccine boosters and such, which has thrown everybody into just a tailspin over the course of of this holiday week, and I'm sure into next week. Um, now the mad dash is for boosters. If boosters are so important, should we have started this earlier, this booster yeah, campaign? I think so. I mean, they did in other countries. I, I, I'm, again, unsure why we held back. Well, remember, NASI just approved uh, yep. vaccination for those 50 and over, and that was, what, the first week of December? First week of December, but other uh, jurisdictions that approve boosters. Israel's moving to a fourth booster yeah. right now as we speak. Um, I, I think we'll look back on this and wonder why that was the case. I think we'll also look back and wonder why we didn't have a more readily available supply of rapid tests on hand, because to use the overuse phrase, there's a Hunger Games going on with all of that now. And maybe that could have helped manage uh, this particular wave. Maybe it would have made things a bit better. Uh, so, yeah, there's questions to be asked around all of that. Every other, you know, one government's pointing at another level of government saying it's their fault. And again, I think when the governments do that, they don't help themselves. We just want to have some kind of normal. And if the booster and rapid tests and accessibility to them and in a reasonable time will get us back on track in mid-January or February, then maybe all of those questions that you and I are talking about right now will get forgotten. I hope not, but maybe they will. Uh, it just seems, and we know the U.S. has been ahead of us. They're, they produce the stuff. I mean, they were four to six months ahead of us anyway, but it seems they've been offering boosters for an extended period of time. Maybe if we had started, and, you know, I was scheduled for six months afterwards, perhaps if we had started this earlier, there would be less of a mad dash going on now. Yeah, and, it, and again, it may be, uh, now we need to think about the healthcare workers. I was uh, yeah. talking to a friend yesterday who had just gotten a booster. Uh, she was talking to uh, a pharmacist who was stepping up yet again, and he was going to be working all through Christmas Day, tomorrow, going to work through Boxing Day to, to get the shots out. I mean, we really are on the verge of burning out our, our yeah. healthcare workers, <clears throat> which is a major challenge because we will get through the pandemic, but we're going to have 
a lot of these workers are in pretty dire straits. We're still going to need to help pick up the pieces of everything else that's been neglected after the fact. Will this change politics moving forward? Everybody has pointed to the healthcare system, this, that, or the other. There's great examples of how it shone uh, on the weakest link. Will this change our politics, do you think, next year? I, I don't know. Um, I mean, so much, it, it, it may... It may accelerate the way we look at the economic challenges that we have because they're going to be more pronounced with the government announcements, the federal ones this past week, about new support programs, which are uh, important to provide. Um, that's going to be layered on top of the already significant inflationary pressures Canadians are feeling. The government's debt is going to grow. We're going to have to make choices after this pandemic, yeah, it's great for Justin Trudeau to say he has everybody's back, and I, I guess he should have everybody's back, but uh, we we may be forced to make choices and pick up political orthodoxy, Scott, about making those choices that do change uh, the political debate in Canada. Tim Powers with us, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data, uh, talking about a year we're very, very happy it is finally ending, and man, what a way for it to end. Tim, thank you so much for all you have helped us uh, uh, with over the year and contributed to the show. Uh, very, very much appreciated, and all the best to you and your family in the holiday. Always my pleasure, Scott. Merry Christmas to you and all the listeners and that Will Erskine fellow as well. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board and Lisa Paleski in the newsroom now making their way around the big round table to discuss the issues of the day. Will and Lisa, good to have you both here. Hope you're doing well. Yes, we're uh, well. I'm. I don't know, but Will, I'm feeling happy and healthy. I uh, I got my booster a couple of days ago, so I'm feeling oh, good. Oh, look at you go! High all right. fives all around. All oh, right, yeah. great to hear. And on that note, I'm hearing rumors, and and you know, because uh, obviously where we are, and them trying to expand hours and such. Uh, I've heard rumors that you know, uh, check your local pharmacy and such because they are adding more. Uh, where I guess they had planned to have people off during the holidays between Christmas and New Year's. Now they're scheduling stuff. In in there so we're starting to see uh, i'm hearing rumors of pharmacies opening up and people getting called back about booking appointments and such so just be aware of that if you uh, are in the process of looking for yours and and trying to get one in between christmas and new year's there are some opens uh, some openings i am hearing of now that being said don't call me and say i've been trying for uh, days and i'm just getting a busy signal and da, 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 da. but uh, we are starting to see movement which is uh, which is great to hear all right let's start with the poll question of the day kids and uh will uh, not will you will, but will twenty twenty two be better than twenty? We'll come to you, will. Don't worry. Uh, will twenty twenty two be better than twenty twenty one? Lisa, we'll start with you. Uh, I don't know where where were we a year ago, and were we asking ourselves the same question? But where do you think we'll be this time next year, Lisa? I think it's so dangerous to have any expectations whatsoever. Yeah. I think when you start saying, "Oh, you know, there's going to be improvement next year. We're, we're we're on the right track." No, no, you don't know because. We never know what's going to happen. And I think that I th- a lot of people I remember th- were thinking, oh, man, 2019 was such a bad year. I yeah. think 2020 is going to be our year. 2020 was no one's year. So let's <laughs> yeah, just say that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And remember, too, many were predicting like around the first wave of this second wave. Oh, when things get back to normal, it's going to be like the roaring 20s. Well, here we are entering 2022. <laughs> well, what point does that start? Yeah. Uh, people are still in the grips of all of this. Will, what are your thoughts on uh, next year being better than this? 
Yes. Oh, well, I remember going back to 2016 saying, you know, each time, whoa, that year was wild. It's going to be different this year. It just keeps each year topping each one. Uh, but, I mean, just to be contrarian, and because I think it's fine, as long as you stay in the moment and, and roll with things, as Lisa's kind of advising... I'm going to be contrarian and give the answer of, sure, it'll be better next year. No, you've cursed us all. <laughs> nah, ha, ha. It's like touching the cup before the game day. Yeah. Uh, Will, give me some you, salt to throw over my shoulder real quick then. Seriously, though, do you think one year from now on Christmas Eve, we'll be reflecting back on COVID-19 still? Do you think we'll still be talking about it, Lisa? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think yeah. it, it, the problem is with a global pandemic and the fact that we still don't have global vaccine equity, and it's going to be a long time before, or if we ever have that, I don't think we ever will. I think yeah. that the problem is this is this pandemic is really just changing and evolving, and I, I am fearful to uh, have any sort of expectations about what might happen. All, all I can say is that I think we just have to keep on you know keep on kind of keeping in touch with the people who we love and um you know making sure they're okay because all we can really do is make personal choices we don't really have any control mm. about what happens on the wider scale very true and you know i think also with this uh variant and we've talked to various epidemiologists about this that you know because of the just the sheer speed that in which it, it transmits and we're seeing that all around everybody knows somebody that's testing positive uh that will th- this is the turning point when we start to realize we don't beat this at this point we just learn to live with it and if you're fully vaccinated and you happen to come down with it uh you know for the most part you're going to be okay so i i think i think the do you think the conversations moved from living with it or sorry from beating it to living with it yeah, I th- I think so. Eventually, I mean, I that unfortunately the problem is there are people who are going to be vulnerable to it and and who can't get vaccinated. So I think there's yeah. got to be some sort of risk mitigation. Like there's got to be something we can do to maybe get to a point where we can live with it safely, but we're nowhere near yeah. there yet. All right, other than COVID-19, what stands out for you as a story? or an event, or, or, or something that stands out from 2021? Or is it all COVID all the time? Is there something other than that that stands out? Uh, how about Will goes first on this one? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Will. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Shove me up front. No, you know what? I, and this might be counting as cheating, but it is so hard to, to think of back over this last year. I, I'm going to say the the story of us finding uh significant portions of water on mars now i'm not talking about terraforming Ooh, or anything like that yeah. but i'm going to say as far as something we've been looking for for a long time the sort of thing that makes paul delaney jump in the air and click his heels the water on mars that's yeah, good amazing point. so good there. point uh, another thing I was thinking of, too, uh, initially I thought of the election because I'm sort of a political junkie, but also that truth was and reconciliation. <laughs> yeah, it was. But also truth and reconciliation and the discovery of the remains of wow. uh, yep. the kids below the residential schools also standing out. Uh, Lisa, you want to weigh in on this yet? That was actually going to be the one that I was going to mention. That was the Canadian press's story of the year mm. and the, you know, the fact that we've really had to reckon with our national identity and what, what has happened and kind of has happened up until recent history this is like it's not ancient history this the people who were victims at these schools the ones who are still alive are still alive today and yeah. so we still have to kind of 
grapple with that. The other one I did want to mention, of course, is climate change and the fact that we're yep. having increasingly wild weather, all the fires and everything like that. So that that's just becoming more. That's something, unfortunately, every year that's going to be a big story, I think. Yeah, that's true enough. And boy, when you peel back COVID-19, there's still a, a lot of other stuff there when you come to ponder it. And all you, right. And you got to say, the, both with all those big stories for me, I really was honestly thinking, oh, yeah, that was this year. So yeah. it's, it's been a it's all that, one. Yeah. The one sh- day just kind of bleeds into the other. The ship in the uh, the canal that that the Ever Given that <laughs> oh, was yes. this year. That's yeah. what, that's what yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, really. Remember that squeezed into the uh, and then the supply chain stuff started yeah. after that. Boy, it's absolutely true. Uh, how deep do you want to dig here? All right, uh, best Christmas present as a kid, and we may date ourselves, uh, especially those of us that are older. Uh, but do you remember back to that that thing? You know, I was talking to Olivia about uh, the uh, CHML ch- uh, children's campaign and such. She's got two young kids at home, and you can hear them just jumping around in, in the background. Uh, obviously, the kids loving it. Do you remember what the best Christmas Christmas present you received as a kid. What, what's memorable? Uh, memorable. What stands out, Lisa? Um, I think so. I had trouble thinking of something really big that I received personally, but I know my brother when he got the Nintendo, the, like the NES, the original oh, one yeah. in the early '90s. That was very exciting, and that kind of introduced me to a world of video games. I mean, I grew up a, between two brothers, so I was always kind of <laughs> the tomboy. But I, I love playing video games to this day, and uh, that that I think was a pretty formative gift as a kid. I don't even want to mention my now that you're mentioning video games <laughs> i'm sorry i don't even remember no, getting a pong game uh okay well what do you got uh i it's very funny and maybe it speaks to a generational thing but my big memory for me is also a video game system it was the game boy uh pocket it was the special pokemon edition and it was yellow but it stands out because i was not someone who had video games as a kid i was very i was very late on getting this and i never expected to have a video game system because you're lying i didn't my fa- <laughs> my mom growing up my mom was kind of against them for a while she had to be convinced and uh and because i i didn't expect us to get video games because we were kind of poor uh and they were still a thing and then i i pulled this thing out video games it was it, here it was it was pokemon had this whole guidebook to it where you could study maps of the thing and yeah that blew my mind as a, as a little kid i couldn't believe i had that and that still sticks with me as the as the big gift that i got Radley and I had this conversation uh, yesterday at the end of the show, and we were talking about Big Jim Sports Camper and Evil Knievel uh, Stunt Rider. So that's where I'm coming from. I think you know, I go back. I, I go back to the year uh, like I was a kid in the '70s. So um, you know, cars were big. So uh, Hot Wheels, slot car tracks, that sort of thing. I remember every year I would get something else to add to my Hot Wheels collection. Nice. Whether you know it was uh, I don't know some sort of thing for the track or loops or this, that, or the other, or a case to carry the cars in or more cars. I had, and honestly, to this day, I think somewhere in the house is uh, up in my son's room is my carrying case with whatever's left of my Hot Wheel collection there. And, um, you know, still solid metal uh, holding together and uh, and really cool. So you, you don't see that very often. Yeah, that's and a, other than that, maybe smash up derbies. Sorry? Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a timeless, the, you know, the fact the uh, the Hot Wheels and the, the tracks and things like that. My 
My nephews who are little kids. Still around. They're still playing with those things. They love them. So that's a good pick. No, absolutely. And I remember, you know, when my when my son was, you know, more around the six, seven and eight, grabbing the old stuff out, he'd get stuff and then I'd find something down in the crawl space and start putting it all together. We'd have a mixture of the old and the new. So, yeah, it still works. And uh, there they are still in his room. He'll probably pass them down to his kids, man. They'll still be lasting. All right. Uh, thank you so much. You're on the big round table. Will Erskine and Lisa Pileski. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Dan McTagg is with us, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP, and is with us now. Dan, thank you for the time on this Christmas Eve. I hope you're doing well. Yes, happy Christmas Eve to you and your family and everyone here, Scott. And back at you, man. You know, I think how many times we've talked over the course of the last year and and the various things we have talked about, whether it's uh, energy security, whether it is uh, the price of, of products going through the roof during a global pandemic, or, or what has happened to the Canadian industry? Uh, you know, it, it's sort of been a double-edged sword because of the pandemic and what seems to be an all-or-nothing uh, uh, outlook on our energy industry. As you go back and you look at the last year, what stands out to you uh, as far as someone who monitors world energy and Canadian energy? What was the big story for you this year and, and what have we learned? Scott, I think the big takeaway for me was energy resilience and, and the public's ability to bounce back, despite you know, what we're facing now with uh, yet another variation of COVID with Omicron. Uh, you know, people uh, are, I think, generally speaking, uh, you know, forward-looking, willing to get back to work, willing to roll up their sleeves and, and get through this one way or another. Um, and it does suggest to me that, yes, it was an unusual year, uh, you know, with the beginning of uh, covid last year in, in 2020. Uh, but I think we've sort of become adapted and used to this, but we may not be as accustomed to the uh, the rather negative effects of uh, the pandemic, as well as, uh, you know, the different economy that we have today compared to what we had, say, uh, you know, uh, a year and a half ago. And that's to say energy, food inflation, uh, you know, the uh, you know, dramatic rise in the price of everything, including housing, a lot of these things, I think, were unforeseen, and they were certainly unintended. And for that reason, I think uh, what 2021 will do uh, is not just a so-called teachable moment. I think we're going to see 2022 be just as uh, volatile and uh, will test us in ways perhaps that we've never, uh, we've never possibly imagined. I'm worried about uh, the possibility of a recession, uh, inflation eating away at disposable income, more Canadians falling through the cracks, and our industry generally, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's farming, uh, whether it's energy itself, not just higher prices, but shortages, I think, are continue to be the big story. Uh, for the year ahead, as we've learned here in 2021. Uh, as you're alluding to, as you're mentioning, obviously this global pandemic has shown weak links in the chain, both in this country and many countries around the world. Uh, Canada seems almost a bit flip in regard to its energy industry and willing to shut it off as opposed to using it to help the rest of the world become a lot more clean. Do, do we? The, the pandemic has forced us to look at a lot of things differently, whether it's vaccination, healthcare industry, what have you. Are we looking at our energy industry differently today than we were a year ago? I think in one positive way we are. We're not taking it for granted. We don't have to go very far to know energy prices are really, at, uh, to a large extent, at the base of why we're seeing in this inflationary spiral, but we're also seeing energy in, in ways that we may not have imagined before. Think now of Europe. 
they're only entering a very dark period of time in which prices uh, are not only uh, humbling industry, but also crippling a lot of uh, suppliers, uh, not just natural gas, but of course electricity. It's also making the world a less stable place. Uh, Europe now, you know, becoming more and more dependent on, on Russia that has designs, obviously, on uh, Eastern Europe and especially in, in Ukraine. I think we're now starting to get to the point where price and the reality, the indispensability and the, uh, you know, to use a, a lack of a better term, the universality of the use of our hydrocarbons are something I think fewer and fewer Canadians are taking for granted. It was easy to do it when times were good, but these are uncertain times and people really want to make sure that we reinforce the things that uh, support our social programs, that support our standard of living and our way of life. And so I'm, this is not sloganeering, Scott. This is really recognizing, I think, uh, one of the positives that's come out of this is perhaps recognizing you can have this transition, you can have this great reset, but you can't do it, you can't rush it, uh, and it's short-sighted to have it so poorly planned that we, you know, write in, in, in stone these, uh, these, uh, these time limits, 2030 net zero, 2050 net zero, EVs by 2020, I think all of those are now going to be given second thought to the uh, practicality of getting our economy and our priorities back in check, and that involves more fossil fuels, more hydrocarbons, not less. Our issue, and again, obviously, the global pandemic has has reset the wor- uh, world, for, for lack of a better term. Um, that being said, are we seeing the results already of self-inflicted wounds, not not planning to do this gradually, an all-or-nothing mentality, an extremist mentality on either side. Um, are we starting to see, or are these, self-inflicted wounds? Well, I think they're self-inflicted because they've taken in, they haven't taken into account the reality that surrounds us. And we still have 30 municipalities who are on the books as wanting to do what they were doing in Europe, which is to engage in a period of energy starvation. So you have uh, municipalities going out of their lane saying because of this climate, exaggerated climate crisis, they want to now, uh, you know, destroy natural gas. The very thing that was used to shut down coal plants here in the province, hmm. they want to say, well, we can do it without natural gas. Apparently Quebec has a spare amount of hydro uh, to, to send us. Not that they can, uh, but that the fact is that they believe that that is the way ahead. Unfortunately, I think many of us see the hydro bills that we're paying today and recognize that, uh, you know, perhaps we've taken all of this, a little too far, and I think there's a point where we have to now reflect very seriously on uh, on the needs at hand, and that really means not denigrating the thing that you know is the biggest, largest sector of our economy: the oil and gas sector, uh, the jobs it provides, the funding that it provides for municipalities, federal and provincial governments. These are things that uh, no other country would trade away. Not even the United States now, recognizing that uh, green energy is not necessarily the way you can go at this time. So. I think what this is doing is it's bringing us back to dealing with the reality over today in the next few years, as opposed to you know imagining a world uh, which sounds great on paper and is perfect in the you know, contrast of the case of utopia, but in fact it doesn't work and is very damaging to the very things that uh, we want to achieve. Yes, we can be cleaner, but let's re- recognize and appreciate the fact that what we produce in this country is among the leaders in the world when it comes to clean energy. More importantly... You don't look a gift horse in the mouth, as my grandfather would have said. And there's a positive that we can take into uh, 2022 as we look at all industries and what we have learned 
from this global pandemic experience, uh, we simply do things differently. Dan, uh, thanks so much for your contributions to this show over the course of the year and such. And, uh, you know, keep uh, keep trying to uh, have a level playing field on all of this and bringing us both sides of this story. And all the best to you and yours this holiday season. And thank your wife for uh, driving you around where all this is going on. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for doing this, Scott. Great and a pleasure being here in 2021. And I look forward to more in 2022. All right. uh, You know, we probably didn't think we would be talking about this uh, at this time, as many of us thought that the holiday would be a little different than uh, what it is turning out to be. That being said, uh, we thought it'd be uh, apropos to give you the absolute latest that we have from Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, Hamilton's Medical Officer of Health and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, Scott. I am. It's good to be with you on this final show of the year. I know, and you know what? Honestly, Elizabeth, you're like the last person we thought we'd be calling on the final show, not because we don't enjoy having you on, but just to give all of you people a rest and such. But, man, look at where we are, and and obviously uh, the latest information is is needed here. Your thoughts on where we are, Doctor, and, and, and as we head into this holiday weekend, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we're just at the beginning of what we're going to see over the coming weeks and months. Unfortunately, with this latest Omicron variant, it is proving to be very transmissible. You know, we saw 9,500 cases today in the province. We saw almost 500 cases here in Hamilton alone and are currently sitting at 334 cases per 100,000 per week. So we are on that steep line upwards in terms of the curve, and um, we are going to continue to see that rise. And so that's where you're seeing us really focus in across the healthcare system with all of our system partners on the vaccinations that we're working very hard, the nurses, uh, pharmacists, physicians, everybody across the uh, partnerships with Eduardo Desney, Refuge, Shelter Health Network, everybody's trying hard to get that vaccine out as fast as we possibly can. And we hit the one millionth dose today, um, which was amazing wow. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's quite a, that's great. quite a milestone. Uh, obviously, we're hearing that you know the mad dash for testing, the mad dash for the boosters, and we even hear that this is encouraging people to get their first doses, which is great. But how is Hamilton's hospital system coping? Uh, we all know that you know that's where uh, things can get pre- uh, precarious, whether it's ICU or such. But are, are they still remaining stable at this point, doctor? So they are strained. They are most definitely strained. And that is with things other than COVID as well. They're, this is a time of year that's quite busy in the hospital system in, in any case. And they've been working hard to try and catch up on surgeries, you know, get things uh, done that people haven't been able to done, get done over the past couple of years. And so they're working very hard. And now they are starting to see more cases uh, coming into the hospital that are, that are COVID-19 just slowly. Um, they're still managing to cope with that, but we know their resources are strained. And so we all need to do our part because, you know, there's things we can each of us do as we go forward through this time. We've done it before in terms of continuing to wear the mask, do the distancing, um, staying home when we're sick so that we can slow that spread because we need that healthcare system, whether it's looking after the the uh, COVID-19 patients or it's looking after people who have heart attacks and strokes and all the other things that happened throughout the year. We really need to keep it stable as we go through this. You were you were talking about how concerned you are about January and February and such. Um, what about those that are still trying to get boosters? What information do you have for them? Well, I wanted to say, because you made the comment about uh, people still coming out for first doses, and they are. We still yeah. get first and second doses every day in our clinics, and it's just great. You know, people thinking about it, looking at where they're at, and making the choice to get vaccinated is wonderful. 
On the booster side, we have uh, administered over 110,000 third doses so far um, across our community. We know we have 300,000 people who are eligible to get those boosters, and so we are working very hard to do that. We hit two 10,000-a-day uh, days over the last couple of days as well that have just been knocking it out of the park. That we're well over the 8,000 we thought we could we could reach, and every single sector has been working on that. Our pharmacies, our community clinics, you know, refuge, um, our hospital partners, our primary care partners, everybody is just doing everything they can to get vaccines in arms as quickly as we possibly can. So we're going to continue with that. It's going to take us, you know, through to the end of January at the current pace to get all of those vaccines done. Um, but we'll keep looking at ways that we can continue to get more out um, faster as much as we can. And, you know, boy, the poor healthcare system, these people are already exhausted and now, uh, you know, asking them to just step up again over the holidays and try to get people vaccinated at a time when you're supposed to be, you know, relaxing. My goodness, uh, what we put the healthcare system through is just is unbelievable. What message do you have for Hamiltonians heading into this weekend? You know, it comes back to that piece about we need to look after ourselves well. We're learning how to live with COVID-19. This is a new virus. It's unfortunately more severe than several other ones that, you know, we live with all the time. Um, but we're learning to live with it. And that that means being very mindful about our circumstances, making good choices about what we're going to do over this holiday season. You know, the most important part of that is if you're sick, stay home and uh, and don't go out and visit others. If you're somebody who's really at risk of severe disease, somebody who's elderly, who's got on cancer treatment, who's immunosuppressed, then you need to reduce your contacts overall and really think about about going out to any sort of social gathering. But um, the mask wearing, all of the measures that have worked so far, they've worked really well. So try and keep those contacts down as much as you can. Do what you can to reduce the spread. We've done it before. We can do it again. And uh, and at the same time, make sure you're connecting with folks. It's so important. If you've got to do it virtually this, this year, again, we know it's not the way we would love to do it, but we're really good at it now, right? And hmm. so, you know, reaching out, including people through virtual connections are still a really important uh, piece of maintaining our, our mental and emotional health. Dr. Elizabeth Richardson with us, Hamilton's Medical Officer of Health. Doctor, thanks so much for all you and the staff are doing to keep us safe and, and try to have as good a holiday season as you possibly can. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Scott. Uh, you know, we often talk about uh, politicians and, and sometimes, uh, you know, we are uh, challenged to find something positive to say. We, they get a lot of the flack. They get a lot of of uh, the attention whenever uh, the public is angry and such or upset about something. But, man, you know, you've got to wonder what it must be like uh, to be a leader at any level, whether it's, you know, municipally, whether it's provincially or federally. Uh, what a very, very, very difficult time it is. It has been in the last year and a half to manage through a global pandemic, presenting a whole pile of problems which the average person never thought they'd ever be dealing with. To talk more on all of this and where we are on this Christmas Eve, let's bring in Fred Eisenberger, mayor for the city of Hamilton and with us now. Mayor Fred, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing great, Scott. Thank you for uh, having me on. And, uh, you know, on this Christmas Eve, it uh, hopefully is starting to feel a little bit like Christmas for a lot of folks out there. 
Yeah, here's hoping, too. And again, at the end of the day, we can change the plans and alter whatever we have to do, but the spirit of Christmas is always there, and, and we just have to look to the families to try to uh, to keep things moving forward. Obviously, a very difficult year uh, for you. Has this been the, the, the most difficult year to be mayor? I mean, obviously, everybody's feeling the same pain, but uh, the challenges for elected officials are, are unbelievable at this time. What's it been like to, to try to lead through all of this in the last year? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been very challenging, but uh, you know we have great staff and great uh, great team. I would say that uh, Dr. Elizabeth and public health and the EOC uh, team, staff team, uh, led by part of the year uh, by Paul Johnson and now taken over by Jason Thorne. I mean, they've done outstanding work, and you know as much as there's pressure for all of us to deliver, uh, you know, especially when it comes to vaccines and you know when vaccines weren't available, there's lots of pressure in terms of you know, isolating people and uh, closing things down. I mean, who'd have thought that we'd ever be doing anything like shutting an, an entire city down or an entire country down, in fact, maybe even the entire world. Uh, so those are, uh, you know, the, I think the uh, the operative word has been unprecedented times. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, life goes on and we still need to get get work done in our city. We still need to have a functioning economy. Uh, and we still need to work with our federal and provincial partners. And, you know, I, w- I would say through through this, through especially through the COVID process, it's been a great uh, partnership between the federal, provincial and municipal governments. And, you know, were it not for for the help and support financially and otherwise of the federal government and the resources they delivered to provinces and municipalities and individuals in our community, we would be in very, very dire straits. So it's been a it's been a challenge. But you know, it's, uh, it's uh, taking it in stride. Uh, it's another file that we have to make sure that we deliver well. And then right now, the pressure is on to get the, uh, the, the you know the third jab into you know there's 350,000 people uh, in our community, and that's caused us to uh, to make some very significant changes in terms of rec centers and museums, closing them down, so that we can second all of those people into the vaccination process. So. Those challenges continue, and I suspect we'll uh, we'll continue to have that uh, primary challenge going into 2022. What's it like to try to get the rest of the city of Hamilton's business done, whatever that is, on a daily day to day basis when you're not in a global pandemic, and then all of a sudden you've got to you know deal with a health crisis? Uh, does it set the city back on moving forward per se? You know, ironically, uh, Scott, uh, you know we we've we've had a record number of uh, development permits, uh, you know, topping the $2 billion yeah. mark. That has never happened before in the city of Hamilton. So a lot of the work uh, necessary to keep our our economy going and to provide, uh, you know, future and current employment has, uh, has continued in a very, very aggressive way. We've seen, you know, major housing developments happening in our city, both affordable housing and, and uh, market housing as well. We see rental properties going up uh, all over the city. So it seems that uh, the development hasn't uh, really skipped a beat. Uh, and, and again, I would say owing to, you know, a lot of financial resources being uh, delivered to Laconitan and across the country. You know, and, and I think that the, the central philosophy is if we think back to the Depression years where they fundamentally decided not to make investments in the economy, not to provide resources to individuals to uh, help stave off the the level of depression i think the decision this time around is it is much more efficient and effective if we deliver those resources because we'll have an economy to go back to and it will take a lot less long 
to uh, to get the, uh, the the economy reestablished again. And I think that we're we're witnessing that as we speak. Uh, you know, I, I I would have thought that uh, at this moment in time, given the shutdowns that we experienced, that uh, our economy would be in very dire straits. And 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 by virtue of the investments that were made, that hasn't happened. So uh, we've been blessed with um, uh, you know. Development uh, happening in our community, new employment opportunities happening, unemployment being actually quite low, and uh, and you know people still have opportunities to uh, continue to you know seek out their careers and paths and education and uh, and you know to a large degree that we've had a window of time where you know people were still getting their entertainment. Now that's being curtailed again a little bit, and I think one of the hardest hit parts of our economy has been the kind of hospitality entertainment sector. That yeah. uh, that has certainly suffered a lot as a result of the lack of movement of people between uh, events and the venues, and and having you know capacity limits uh, in our community. So it's been uh, it's been a challenge, but you know what the uh, the community has rallied, uh, staff have rallied, everyone's can put their shoulder to the wheel, and that uh, we're we're working through this in a very effective and efficient way. And you know, so far we're uh, we're we're staying stable. And uh, and looking forward to you know a more open economy into the future, of course. Fred Eisenberger with us, mayor for the city of Hamilton, talking on this Christmas Eve about where we are and where we've come from and where we're going uh, next year. And things pretty uh, seem pretty positive for the Hammer in the next year. Mayor Fred, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You always make yourself available to us, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a great holiday and be well. Yeah, thank you. And uh, you know, let me encourage everyone to uh, to be patient through the. Uh, through the booster uh, process, we have about 350,000 people to, uh, to vaccinate, and we're doing it as fast as we can. And make the very best of your time with family and friends here over Christmas. Happy, happy holidays, and let's look forward to a, uh, a better 2022. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, City of Hamilton. It is 528. It is 900 CHML in Hamilton, 980 CFPL in London. We're coming back. Want to bring in, uh, bring in Police Chief Frank Bergen and chat about the last year and how challenging it has been for all of the EMS services. Uh, Police Chief Frank Bergen with us now. Chief, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you very much, Scott, and thanks for including me on the last show of the season. You know, I think this is the first time we've had you on since becoming Police Chief. Is that accurate? I, yep, I'm on Bill Kelly quite a bit uh, and yep. uh, those those uh, town hall meetings. But thanks, Scott, for uh, thinking uh, of including the Hamilton Police on your sh- on your show tonight as well. So, what has it been like for the service for the past year? You know, I was just I just had the mayor on the line, and and you know, I mean, doing the city's business is one thing, doing the city's policing is one thing, and then doing it uh, within a global pandemic that adds a whole other uh, few layers of complications. What's it been like for the last year for you? Yeah, it certainly has had the complications, but luckily we have an amazing team. Um, Deputy Diodati, uh, Leanne Snedden, Sean, and all of them are looking at the internal policies with regards to, you know, PPEs and, and making sure that we have the safety for our members to be out in the road. Uh, we, like every other other service in the organization of, with our paramedics and the fire department, we had some challenges. We really did. And we had to meet those as well as we're, we're also in a, in, a, in a wave, if you will, not just the pandemic, but we're seeing a surge in calls to 911 as well. So mm. we are seeing uptick in those calls for service. Last week alone, we had one day, we had over 1,500 calls to the 911 system. So we're doing our best to try to manage all that. And this last iteration, whatever that is, and how we're coming out of it, look at the numbers today. Uh, we're certainly all having to buckle down to make sure that we can continue 
business continuity and delivering service to our community. And, you know, as you said, uh, Chief, we were, you know, we're, we, we had a sort of plan we were following. Uh, we saw vaccination rates going up, which was great. It looked like we had a handle on this. And then all of a sudden, another variant and, and off we go again. And you can tell that people are fatigued. You can tell that people are getting angry. I'm sure you see that as well. Yeah, what we saw in the first wave and when this is all just very new to us, uh, we did see a, a sort of a flat line, if you will, of family trouble calls, and, and they're back now on the rise. And what we did find during the lockdowns and the restrictions is we were concerned about what, what second eyes or, or what were the neighbours seeing when people weren't in the community centres or in the schools or, or when they're in their own homes. So we hope everybody is safe, and we remind everybody as we now uh, go into this challenge where, again, we're in diminished numbers. Maybe Maybe take a few moments to to do a, do a checkup on a neighbor or making sure those people that are isolated, uh, people in crisis calls this time of year, there's lots of isolation. So again, it's that reminder, geez, you know, maybe we just got to check on, you know, somebody up in, in 37B of the apartment or something that you haven't seen for a while, just sort of maybe stop by and just see that they're okay. Socially distance, obviously, but just a door knock or just making sure people are okay. And, you know, as you said, I mean, this time of year can be difficult anyway. You add a global pandemic into this, and it just heightens everything. It certainly does. And I heard Mike Sanderson very clearly as well that not all calls require a 911 response. So a Mm. reminder to people, we have a non-emergency call. We have the ability also to have alternative response. People can use online services. It's not always something about just calling 911 because you have some question. Uh, we are making sure that we can do priority response to people who need it. When you had this intro song about the weather outside is frightful, look at how we're going from extreme snow today and we're looking at yeah. a, a five degree day tomorrow. So we have to make sure your driving habits are, are also commensurate with the weather. So there's lots of things to consider this time of year. What's it been like for staffing issues within the police service? Because obviously uh, you're all on the front line. You're all on there uh, exposed just like everybody else and the other EMS workers are. Uh, has it has it been tough to, to keep everybody healthy? Scott, I'm looking for every piece of wood to knock right now, and I'm letting hmm. you know that we're doing okay. We are doing okay. We have officers who have been actually abiding by the rules, wearing their PPE, and, and making sure that we are keeping those uh, business environment safe for everybody. We've had the plexiglass like everybody else. But as you say, this second variant coming out now um, is, is sort of coming out in different waves as well and showing different symptoms. So we're on top of it. We're, we're constantly speaking to our membership, constantly reminding them, looking at opportunities for them. The public health has been an incredible partner uh, working with us and working with our partners within fire and, and paramedics as well. So again, like everybody, we're not immune to those challenges, but we're asking that our members look after themselves, their families, and not, you know, congregate and not cause those challenges that we're asking everybody to abide by. Uh, And obviously, this time of the year, uh, normally, people are out celebrating and such, and we're talking about the ride program. How has all of this affected that? Is that all still going? The ride program, wouldn't it be great just to say, my God, the pandemic took care of the ride program, but it hasn't. Our numbers are up. We, we alone this year have 
had um, had the, the great neighbors, the eyes and ears of everybody else call 911 when they see an impaired. And to date, we have over 150 arrests just from concerned citizens. So again, this year, we're so proud to partner with the Hamilton Bulldogs Hockey Club. Uh, they come with great partners. Every year they come forward and, and they allow our officers as we're now putting people through ride lanes. We do them year-round, but this particular ride program we're in right now, we have vouchers from the Bulldogs, so what happens is that turns into an admission for somebody to come in as they're going through, but the numbers are still there, Scott. And the other thing that we see is that those numbers happen throughout the day. They don't just happen in the evening. Um, Mm -hmm. There are so many alternatives. Take Take an Uber, take a Lyft, take a friend, do a designated driver. Just do not make that stupid decision to drink and drive. What, you know, we've been talking to various industries, businesses and such. I mean, everybody, you know, the big words pivot and how things have had to change. What does a police service learn from something like a global pandemic and, uh, you know, a COVID-19? What can you take from this for the future? I think the pivot and what we've all done is we just take a little bit more care when, when we have those interactions. I think the one thing that we can all agree on is now, boy, we know how to wash our hands and we know how to use yeah. um, disinfectant. And, and so we've just gone through that process. But you understand as well, we in, in fact deal with the most marginalized and, and vulnerable members of our community, our people in crisis calls. These people, um, you know, certainly about some challenges we have with homelessness, harm reduction, poverty and mental illness. So we're making sure that those interactions are safe, but we still are not stopping them. They're they're necessary. These are people who need the assistance of the Hamilton Police Service. So we'll continue to do that. We're just making sure that we're much more alert to what those mannerisms are about people's interactions. But we still are a hands-on organization, so we have to make sure that our members have that protection before they go into that environment. What are you hearing from those in the police service, uh, the rank and file over the over the last year? What's it been like for them to to be on the front lines of all of this? What are what are their concerns? Well, well, we hear the concerns that what they do see is they see uh, you know really policing is having the front row of theater of life, and and they're seeing people in many cases at their worst day, and so we're yeah. hearing and we're hearing about the challenges, um, the actual emotional toil. Uh, this has certainly had on um, our, not our members, but that's one thing we're concerned about. We talk about and we share with everybody in our organization, but more importantly, how they're interacting with the community. And in many cases, that isolation has caused them to dig deeper down into their empathy and to look at opportunities to give people help. Our officers are amazing. They do food drives. They look at coat drives and boot drives, and they're doing everything to try to help out the most vulnerable and marginalized members of our community. We also take the time to talk internally about their their well-being and how they're doing. Police Chief Frank Bergen with us uh, and talking about how difficult that has been to, uh, of course, uh, police uh, the city of Hamilton over the course of a global pandemic. And everybody knows what we're going through and, and certainly health care and all the other e- emergency services as well and frontline workers that are trying to keep us safe all well in the midst of a global pandemic. Frank, thanks so much for the time and good luck with uh, you and all the members moving forward and have a great Christmas or as best as you can considering. Thanks so much for all you do. Thanks, Scott, and be safe and be well to everybody, and Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.